Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us once again. You are listening to A Little Off Topic, one agency's water cooler chat on digital marketing, business, and all the things that get in the way presented by Speak Creative. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the demands of leadership in an agency setting. Since we're joined each week by Speak's VP leadership team, it figures we should take the opportunity to pick their brain on a subject they're very familiar with. My name's David Caffey. I'm Speak's digital marketing manager and the host of A Little Off Topic. As I mentioned, each week I'm joined by our VP leadership team. Kendra Svensson is VP of Client Partnerships. The first of our duo of Matt's is Matt Roberts, VP of Marketing and Sales. And finally with us once again is Matt Irvin, VP of Creative Services. Obviously it has come up a lot over the course of our podcast, but the reality of 2020 has almost changed the game when it comes to the demands of a leader in an agency setting, but really in any business setting. So we'll definitely talk about how their outlook on leadership has changed since the uh, pandemic has started. From there, we'll talk about the pressure and demands leaders face when changes are made in the workplace. To examine this, uh, Matt Irvin will walk us through a case study of sorts on a recent overhaul of our development process that he oversaw. Finally, we'll close with the difficult realities of giving feedback to your teammates, as well as advice our VPs would give to up and coming leaders in the business world. So a great conversation today with lots of helpful information. So let's get right to it. As always, we thank you for taking the time to listen to our show today, and I hope you enjoy today's episode of A Little Off Topic. The, uh, the great Whoopi Goldberg once said, uh, we're here for a reason, and I believe a bit of that reason is to throw torches out to lead people through the dark. Uh, and that's our topic for today. Of course, you might know Whoopi Goldberg from Star Trek The Next Generation, <laughs> Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. <laughs> Um, but I think that was a very, very appropriate quote for today's episode. And of course, um, with the burden of leadership comes the responsibility of having so many people depend on you. But uh, we're going to hear some perspective today from Speaks VP Leadership Trio. And we'll explore what uh, leadership looks like in today's agency world. Um, but let me go ahead and introduce that VP Trio. Kendra, what is your favorite Whoopi Goldberg movie moment, TV show, or anything? Ghost. Ghost. Great answer. Matt Roberts, Whoopi Goldberg thoughts. Oh, man. Uh, I I have no Whoopi Goldberg thoughts, which feels like, yeah, a failure on my part. That's okay. I'll come back to you later. Um, And then finally, (laughs) Matt Irvin. So so I'll take Matt's time on this one because my favorite Whoopi Goldberg uh, fact is how she got her name. Her name is not actually Whoopi Goldberg. And Mike Rose podcast, uh, the way I heard it, he does a great job of telling that story. So uh, I'm not going to ruin it. I think you should listen to the podcast. We can put a link in the show notes. Put a link in the show notes. It has something to do with the whoopee cushion though, right? Uh, similar, yes. Okay. We'll, we'll tease that one for later. It's really good. So we've already said in that little intro I just did that being a leader comes with pressure. But let's start off by talking about the joy and positivity you find in leading those around you. What, are the, like, what do you guys think are some of the best parts or – Proudest moments you've had as your tenure as leaders here at Speak. Irvin, please talk joy about and positivity. Joy and positivity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Please talk about what? <laughs> <laughs> um, I find joy and positivity in leadership. I think I somehow always, I hate the cliche of like natural born leader, but I've always kind of been that person that just runs the group project. <laughs> Um, And so I think leadership came fairly naturally to me, um, regardless of position or where I've been. It's always just been something that happens. And so now that it's in an official capacity, I think I 
have the um, ability to do it without wondering what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but yeah, it, it does feel natural to me. And so I like doing it. I like being able to help people see more or see different perspectives. And so I'm lucky that I can do that now. Yeah. So, the job. so for, for me, I have a, an anecdotal story um, that is weird, but when I was a kid, I was probably seventh or eighth grade, one of the two. And I lived, we lived in New Orleans and we uh, went on a youth group trip to Houston to go to Astroworld. And so uh, the trip between Houston and New Orleans, there's a, it's the second, one of the second longest bridges or one of the longest bridges in the United States. Um, and it is, so you're just elevated highway over swamp. And I'm riding in my mom's Astro van because uh, she was driving on the trip and there's a caravan of like six cars. And for some reason we were in the back and we had a blowout and uh, on this bridge. And so like, nobody knew what to do. Like nobody had any idea. And I was like, well, I know what to do. And I just like took over. I was like, we're going to figure out how to change this tire. We're going to change the tire. We're going to get rolling. And then we're going to, you know, we're not going to sit here on the bridge. We're not going to try to find a call box. I just, I don't know. I just, I knew what to do. And then when we got back, um, my mom had said, I've always told you, you were a leader, but do you see what you did there? And I was like, no, I don't. And so she explained there were, there were two adults that didn't know what to do. My dad wasn't with us. There were two adults that didn't know what to do, but you did. And you took over in such a way that we all followed an eighth grader around on a bridge in the middle of Texas in the middle of the night. I was like, looking for a payphone. That's okay. the most Matt Irvin story I've ever heard. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, it only would have gotten better if somehow the, uh, the fix had involved uh, using his Sharpie and also some duct tape. No, I didn't do that. But I will say the Astro van had a, a spare tire that had like a little, a little like you, you open, had to open the back doors and lower it with a crank and then raise yeah. it back up with a crank. It's pretty common. I had never seen that before. But one of the people with us had a cigarette lighter and wanted to, because we couldn't figure out how to get the tire down, they wanted to climb underneath the Astro van and light up the cigarette lighter so he could see how the tire was attached. I was like, man, I don't think this is a good idea. I'm only 13, <laughs> but I think you're wrong. Yeah. Not a lot of folks cl uh, climbing under Astro vans with cigarette lighters these days. That's right. right. <laughs> really a lost art. It, well, you, you would climb under it with a vape thing now. Yeah, vape light. You're blue. A vape light of the thing. Vape. All right. Yeah. yeah, good call. Then you couldn't see because of the cloud. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Final question uh, about the Astro van. Was yeah. everybody that had an Astro van had to make a pilgrimage to Astro World? Was that? I was <laughs> wondering the same thing. No, it wasn't. But I, ours was the custom uh, the custom-ish Astro van that had like the little curtains in the window and the stripey package on the side the with, like, stripes going. Wow. Well, so it also had a black and white TV that was screwed uh -huh. to the ceiling. Um, and there was one, it was horrible. There was one speaker on it and the speaker on the TV was right here. So if you're the driver of the Astro van, the speaker is pointing right at your ear and the people in the back obviously can't hear. So you have to turn it up all the way. It was, it was like the whole thing. It was just a torture oh, chamber for the driver of an Astro van with a TV right. on. It was terrible. Uh, my favorite Astro van memory is a friend of mine had an Astro van and he put a Nintendo in it. And I just was like, that blew my mind. I was like, oh, we, we could play video games. <laughs> so, uh, doesn't have anything to do with leadership, and certainly I didn't save the day on the road to on the road to Houston, but it uh, felt good. We no, we did uh, have a, a secondary TV that we eventually added, and a Nintendo and a VCR. Nice, yes. Anyway. Wow, that's 
Like, if you want to find out some way to rig up something so that it'll work, I'm your guy. Like, well, after just... you saved the day, your parents were just like, "Yeah, let him let him have the full package." <laughs> the point wasn't that I saved the day, but I'm glad you guys picked up on it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, leadership for me has been one of those things that's always been uh, kind of just uh, below the surface. Um, I tend not to be the person who kind of jumps in and, and is ready to kind of lead the charge, especially thinking of like growing up and, and in different settings where, you know, you might exhibit some leadership uh, <laughs> uh, characteristics like Kendra or Matt uh, described. And it just, it just wasn't me. I mean, it, it kind of took me a little while to realize like the, the competencies that I had uh, were maybe something that could help me uh, maybe, um, bring people along. And so there's some amount of me, you know, still figuring a lot of that out. But I mean, if if we get back to the original question of like, you know, kind of what, what kind of joy does leadership bring? I think my biggest thing is, um, I, I get a tremendous amount of, uh, satisfaction in seeing, um, the people that I lead, um, be successful and um, begin to discover kind of their own um, strengths and gifts and being able to um, encourage those um, and, and help them kind of as, as those uh, strengths maybe start to surface. You know, a lot of times uh, as outsiders, it, it's almost always one of those things where, you know, it's easier to spot somebody else's strength than it is to, to spot our own, right? And so, you know, for, for me to be able to say, hey, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, almost like like Matt's mom talking to him about, you know, saving the day with the, the Astro van. But, you know, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but, you know, you're really great at, you know, this, uh, this thing. Um, I've noticed you being successful and, and maybe that's something that, that we need to keep developing in you or, you know, let you uh, run with and, and see kind of how far that can get us uh, as a company. Um, if we were to leverage that strength kind of to its full capacity. So <clears throat> that's really where I find a lot of, a lot of satisfaction um, in leadership. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, there are a lot of days that, that don't include that. Um, but I think, you know, just encouraging um, kind of the, the, the folks that are, that are on my team is there's just a lot of satisfaction in, in kind of helping people realize like, Hey, Uh, you're really good at this thing, you're contributing in a meaningful way, and then seeing how that um, hopefully uh, creates uh, kind of some positivity in that person, but then also, you know, creates results for us as a a company as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I love seeing the success of others, but like watching them feel that success is exciting to me. Um, Whether I had a hand in it indirectly or not, uh, I had a meeting actually this morning with someone and we were talking about data points and um, they were basically just saying, Hey, this was a success. Cause look what I did. And like seeing her excited was like, wow, you you enjoy this. This is great. And, um, you know, as I coach my team along in their jobs, having them find that success is ultimately what makes me feel like, okay, we're on the right track or not. It's if they are feeling successful, then I feel like we're doing something. Okay. So we are a mere, well, at least I am like two and a half weeks away from six months of us being affected by this. I mean, I think that's when I had headed for the hills and hit the Corona bunker was about six months ago. 
Um, so I think we've talked in previous podcasts about the changes in demands for management and like, you know, with remote people going remote, but that's something that we've kind of always, you know, at speak of how had kind of part of our, is part of our world, but taking that into account and then just like the, the fact that people are kind of a little bit more on edge and it's just a lot more chaotic. Um, how is your responsibility or your thought process or your approach to leadership changed uh, in these last six or so months? I think for myself, the trust factor has increased just tenfold. I mean, you really have to let go of any notion of needing control or, um, you know, people are going to do what they're most comfortable with and we have to really trust that they know what's best for themselves. And so mm. being able to trust your team to do the right thing, uh, you know, work remotely more often or have their camera off for a meeting um, when maybe you wish that it would be on. Little things like that where like it's really easy to harp on. I think that um, allowing your team to do what they're comfortable with and understand that like their performance will be better if they if they know you trust them. Uh, that has been a big change for a lot of people, especially those that aren't used to that remote working environment. Um, you know, I, I, my perspective is I don't care where you work from. If I know you're working and it's good, then great. So I think that that trust is apparent to some people and probably um, very apparent that it's lacking for others in the whole pandemic shift. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, for me, um, I found myself, especially in the in the first kind of couple of months of uh, kind of um, the ordeal, really um, dealing with a lot of emotions around just the uncertainty of, of everything, <clears throat> which you know I think we think we all did. Um, but you know, not just the uncertainty of you know what is what does this do for for me as a person but then like what does this mean for our team and um trying to uh it's challenging to try to process without that necessarily creating increased anxiety for um other folks on the team and i I don't know that i did that perfectly but that was uh, certainly a challenge as far as managing kind of the, the, the folks that are um, kind of on my team. I mean, I think what Kendra said is, is, is right on the money. I mean, there's just this um, added level of trust that you have to have. And, and of course, uh, one of the things that that's helpful is we've got a bunch of systems in place that, that help us kind of make sure that the things that need to be happening are happening and we can kind of keep an eye on progress and those kinds of things. But yeah, I mean, there's just a, a lot of, uh, connection that's needed. Uh, I know at this point, everybody thinks Zoom is a cuss word. Um, but just to have those kind of daily or weekly check-ins with folks on the team, just to see how they're doing. You have to pay attention more to the emotional than ever before, truly. Yeah. 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 And not that I think that (laughs) I say this and I don't like the comparison, but I do liken it a lot to just like what you would do with or what I would do with my kids. Like you want to support them emotionally, but also protect them from unneeded turmoil. And so Mm -hmm. like you were saying, Matt, like you putting out your emotions might project way more anxiety on a team than necessary. Mm -hmm. And so there is some level of 
how do I shield it, but also remain transparent, but also protect them from freaking out. <laughs> um, there, I think every manager went through that at some level. So I think one of the uh, big things that happened that has been happening at Speak lately that prompted this conversation is we've implemented some big process changes. And a um, big part of leadership, especially in our world, is managing and implementing and changing those processes. Um, so uh, I think, Irvin, you were the one that took a big lead on this. So I wanted to kind of walk through um, your, what you went through in evaluating processes, making that change, taking the kind of leadership over that, and then gathering feedback um, to you know, make further adjustments. Yeah. Um... It, I, I guess I don't know. I'd start off by saying it took a lot longer than uh, I had hoped. Um, I, I started down this road back in October, November of last year, um, and then got sidetracked by a dozen things a week um, on the way to get there. And then over the last over the last month, just decided, hey, I've got. If we're going to do this, I got to do it. And so I've kind of ignored a lot of stuff, and, and now I'm taking <laughs> now I'm paying the, paying the consequences for that, but. A couple of things. One, I always want to make speak a place that I would want to work. Um, and so like, that's, that's my big goal. Um, there's some downsides to that being a management style. It means that people who don't want to work in a place that you want to work, uh, people who have different desires than you do probably aren't going to fit very well on your team. Um, and I don't know, for me, the, the treat others like you want to be treated, uh, is, is really the, the only way that I know how to do it um, that has a good measuring stick with it so that I can say, yeah, this is how. So all that to say, when I started like seeing the, the tension um, on the team ramp up, uh, especially on the, um, in the, in the production side of things that we work on, on the, the front of development side of things, um, I started looking at it and saying, okay, what's changed? Why are things um, in the state that they're in? And then what, what can we do about it? And so it, it took a while to figure out. Um, and quite honestly, it took some staff turnover to figure out too. Uh, in fact, I don't think I would have gotten, I don't think I would have arrived at the same conclusions um, or had the right input. Have we not had some staff changes? Um, and the, the restructuring was a big part of that too, uh, because before we restructured, um, I've managed just the dev team. And uh, that's one of the easier teams to manage. Um, things move at a slower pace just because they take longer. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, um, there's, there wasn't, a, there's not a lot required there. Um, you just dig in and help out and get things out of people's way. Like, but when, uh, when we lost our, our, uh, director of projects, there was a gap. She left a void because she did a lot of work. And when she left, uh, somebody had to step into that gap. And I was like, well, it's gotta be me, um, until we rehire. Then COVID hit and it was like, well, we're not going to rehire. Uh, so I got to stay in that gap. And part of doing that, um, let me get a really close look at the ins and outs and the details of how our projects were running um, from how they came in the door to how they, uh, you know, how everybody behaved or how the, our processes functioned while they were in the door and then what it was like to get them out the other side. Um, and then it helped that I've been in, uh, involved in enough sales processes, just even, you know, in the past, but also here just working with our current team where they have questions about how something works or need help with a proposal uh, to describe something that I had a good kind of panoramic view of the whole deal. And so um, 
when I started looking at it and say, okay, what changed? I was able to pinpoint a couple of things that changed um, that I think were kind of the, the starting, uh, the start of uh, the, our schedule getting into a place where we were um, getting work in faster than we could get it out. And it, it wasn't that our sales took off. Um, our sales were, were per, you know, proceeding at their normal rate of, of increase. It was, it was something systemic that was wrong. And so um, by digging in, I, I was able to, I think I was able to figure out what the actual cause was. And then we started working on a, uh, working on a solution. So what I realized was uh, the, the biggest thing that we had done that caused the change was we bought another company. <laughs> which you would think, and when you're assessing what could what? be different, right? What could be different now? What kind of change? Well, maybe that was it. And I didn't really think about it beforehand um, until I got into these processes and started saying, Hey, you're going to have to include me in these projects so I can see what's going on. And I realized that our um, new designers that we got. Uh, so first of all, before we bought that company, our, all of our designers could also code. And so they would design a site and then they would code it or they would design it as they coded it. Um, and in that case, they're not going to design outside of their ability to code. There's no formal check needed there. They're also not going to design something that's going to be incredibly difficult to code. Um, but we brought in these designers from this other company, this other company that we bought, who were very talented, very good designers. And their previous business model was design it. Somebody will figure out how to build it. And um, so like we had all of a sudden all these new designs that looked great but weren't built with an eye toward being coded, um, getting approved by clients, and then we had to code them out. And so what was happening is we were doing small things that, uh, in the designs that added up to big, big time uh, investments on, on projects. And so um, that was really what got me started down the road of uh, looking at, okay, how can we streamline things? Are we doing things that are unnecessary? Um, are we doing more than the client wants. And in a lot of cases, we were doing more than they wanted in some areas and less than they wanted in others. And so um, just kind of looking in the, the process and trying to, trying to figure things out. So on the feedback piece, so my question, so now that we're, we have this in place, let's say, and you know, people are, are getting used to the new process, how do you take um, feedback from the team and, that, and how do you sort it between this is feedback that we could apply versus this person is just, you know, they're upset that WrestleMania got canceled and Disney World's closed and they just came to work looking for a fight and they're in a bad mood about it. So how do you sort between true feedback and then just something and just kind of growing pains and, and criticism and of that nature? I would say first and foremost, like if you're going to implement a big change, you have to bring people along and listen to them before you just hand down a big change. Um, you have to have that buy-in and you have to let them be a part of whatever you're changing. Um, I think you just gave a really clear look at what I have to deal with on the day-to-day -day with someone who was upset about Disney World and WrestleMania, David. Uh, <laughs> no, but anytime you implement change, I think that as long as you can bring them alongside, let them know why you're doing it, that it's not just because you say so. Um, and get their buy-in and ask for their feedback before the change happens, the buy-in and the feedback that you get are so much better. Um, you know, you, the way you, I guess, measure if it's effective is one, if people are happy and not complaining, and two, if you're reaching that goal. So in Irvin's case, if we're reaching better efficiency in time logs and that sort of thing, but also if 
the designers are feeling less pressured on things. So you can measure it in a lot of different ways, but unless you have that feedback or that buy-in going into it, I think it's a lot harder to know what kind of impact you're going to have. That's true. Um, so change management could be a, a whole topic all by itself because that is a really, really huge deal. I will say that uh, previous, previous jobs, I have learned, or other jobs, I have learned more being managed poorly, um, especially through change, than I've learned being managed well. Um, and so like when you, when you experience some of that stuff, uh, I, I, I work as a contractor for a very large company, a large manufacturing company here in Nashville. And um, they wanted to make some changes to their IT department. And so I was a contractor, so this didn't affect me other than it affected the people that I worked with um, who were not, who were full-time employees who were not contractors. And so they made an announcement one, uh, I guess it was on a Friday. They said, hey, next week, um, we're going to post new org charts. They're going to be paper. We're going to post them in these specific places in our building. And everybody come in uh, that morning, this on Monday morning, and find your name on the org chart, and then that'll tell you what your job is. And if your name is not on the org chart, then you no longer have a job here. And so head to HR and uh, pick up your severance. So you see things like that. And you like what happened was like the IT organization, this company never recovered. Oh, a year later, they were still reeling from the impact of that because I don't know who came up with that idea. It was a horrible idea. Um, it sounds like Black Friday on Arrested Development. But uh, like, you see stuff like that happen and you realize that you, they should have been talking to people all along the way and explaining what was going on. And um, it is important to get buy-in and it is important to get other people's input um, because if you're ever going to get good feedback, they have to understand what went into it to get the change started. And so right. they'll understand the context and the nature of the change that you're making and can say, okay, one of our designers, Matt, talked to me about how we were going to handle mood boards. And um, this is what, you know, what we decided. And so this is what I learned. This is what I'm doing now. And it is or isn't working. Or there's some other things that we can do. And one of the, one of the other benefits of doing it that way is this designer understands the nature or the spirit of what we we're trying to do. And then in that case, you don't have to dictate every little thing. You say, Here's the overall idea. Here's the problem we're trying to solve. How do you think we can solve it? And then now what you've done is you've created a whole bunch of other people in your organization that are all understand the problem, all working to solve it. And they're all going to be thinking about this problem and how can I make it better? Well, and I think all the, a whole team's perspective is different. So even if you as a manager have sat in a seat, we'll say like I came in to speak as a content writer, the challenges I had a few years ago are not the same challenges that the content writers today face. And yeah. so I can't prescribe a fix for something if I don't have their input or their feedback because they are going through something that I don't see. Yeah, that's very true. Also, people don't like it when you just tell them what to do. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. But I don't have much to add because I feel like you guys have, have covered all the major points. I think the only other thing that I would add is just that by inviting people into the process, it has all the benefits that you've already expressed, but then it also just cues them up for the idea that change is coming. It, it, it just lays the groundwork for them to say, you know, okay, I understand that, you know, a, hopefully, you know, the, 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 the conversation happens in a constructive way and they feel like they were, they were heard 
and um, that builds confidence and and hopefully uh, you as a manager for having arranged that conversation. Um, but just for somebody to to be able to begin the process on the fact that okay that they're looking for my feedback, I feel heard, and also changes are coming. Um, it just lays the groundwork for when change does actually come. It doesn't feel like hopefully it doesn't feel like the rug got pulled out from, from under that person right. kind of whether or not their specific feedback was, was implemented into um, whatever change comes down the line. Cause especially for, for each of you, you manage big enough teams that, you know, the feedback that you're going to get from each individual on your teams, I can't imagine that all that feedback would be able to be implemented in a way that, that would actually move us towards something that's this, helpful for a long-term, you know, trajectory. You've got to kind of make the decision of, okay, here's, here's what's best for the company and here's the direction that we want to go. And there's lots of different ways we could get there um, based on everything that I've heard. You know, here's what I've distilled down as, as the way that, that I think is best. Uh, I do want to mention one other thing that I think is really important. Um, and I've learned this also from, from bad management. When, when you have a team or when you have lots of people that you work with, you start to realize that you have people with different levels of buy-in. Like you've got people who are um, like, I go to work to do my job and I want to go home. And that, those people are great. Um, that's what uh, in a, one of my favorite books, E-Myth, um, that's what they call a technician. And technicians are great to have. You need those people. Um, then you have people who like, have a more, a deeper sense of ownership um, of the company, of their team, or um, they want to, they really want to make the company better. And they're usually vocal about that. So that's not hard to figure out who they are. But when you invite input from a whole bunch of people, um, you have to take into account that particular aspect of that person's um, personality and say, if they give me a suggestion that I'm not going to take, and it appears to be a suggestion that they really like. I've got to go back to them and say, this is why it's not going to work. Um, because if you don't do that, what's happened is you've had somebody put something very personal out there for you that they've worked hard on and you dismissed it. You, you ignored it as opposed to addressing it and saying, you know, there were, here are the positives of your idea, but here are the things that make your idea not work. So keep thinking and let's come up with something else. Um, that's, that's a big deal because what will happen is that person who is a very valuable contributor um, will eventually become estranged. And um, it's basically like when you watch somebody just capitulate, they're going to be like, well, I'm just going to go to work now. It doesn't matter. I'll do whatever. Um, so you have to be, you have to be mindful of the, of the outside consequences of asking for a lot of input that you've now, you've now asked for personal investment from people and you gotta, you have to treat that um, with the way you would want yours to be treated. You have to treat it with respect. Yeah, that's good. So let's talk about <clears throat> feedback going in the other direction. So when you're, you know, we, we talk about feedback from your team, but you're also expected as a leader to give feedback in, you know, like your an annual review type situation or you're going into a, you get one of those calendar invites as an ambiguous subject line like chat or catch up. And you, you know, you gotta, you gotta go in that meeting with some feedback. Um, so we talked about this kind of before in expectations that this is part of the leadership process and that sort of thing. But how do you, when you go in to those situations, how do you make sure that you're going to give feedback that um, is valid and actually does lead to improvement and is constructive? 
The way I prefer to look at reviews is that they're like a really easy, quick check-in because we've already laid the feedback of, or uh, the framework of feedback. Um, I prefer to give feedback in the moment so it doesn't fester. And so when we get to this big review or, you know, there's six months have gone by since our last review and we're ready to talk about performance, it's very clear what we're going to be talking about because it's what we've already been talking about. Um, if I'm not doing that, then I find that, especially myself, I thrive on getting that feedback from myself. And I find that a lot of our team members also thrive on that. So I'm trying to give feedback in the moment and constant and really cultivating that culture of just being open and honest and getting to the root of problems so that there's not such a big buildup. Um, I've certainly had reviews where people come and they're so nervous because they don't have a clue what I'm going to say. And I, I feel awful if we reach that point because I don't want it to get to a point where there is this big buildup. Um, David, I see you're smirking and you and I have done reviews several times, um, but we do it several times a year. We don't wait until that six month check-in um, to list the problems and send people off to find solutions. So I think just keeping the feedback open all the time as a leader, that really helps with those mandatory or um, formal check-ins. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that we do well is um, I, I think <clears throat> we make kind of each person, the expectations for each person on our, our individual teams, uh, we make those expectations pretty clear. And, and that, like Kendra said, they're, they're very regular parts of our conversations. So, you know, it shouldn't be one of those things where, you know, three months go by, six months goes by. <clears throat> and somebody feels like they're performing well and we get to a conversation and I'm like, Hey, actually, um, not so much, uh, you know, I mean, we, uh, kind of the combination of expectations and kind of regular conversations with everybody on the team, I, f I feel like gives us a leg up in those kind of more formal conversations to, to hopefully affirm the things that we see that are going well and to remind them of maybe some of the areas where we're seeing, uh, you know, lack of growth or lack of progress. And also to set kind of the, the stage for the next three or six months and say, okay, you know, based on our conversation today, here are, the, here are kind of the next things that I want for us to do. It is, it's always really important to try to, if you have to give negative feedback, you want to make sure that, um, it is understood that it is given in such a way that you want to help the person get better. Mm. Um, yeah, that's good. That's like, it's the context, right? If, if, if we're coming to this meeting and I'm going to get on to you, that's one thing, right? That's, that's, that's not productive. That's not constructive. And it makes people act less mature. If we're coming to this meeting and I'm going to say, Hey, look, um, I've noticed some things, uh, that you could do better, or I've noticed some things that, um, not are disappointing to me. That's slipping back into dad mode there. But um, I've noticed some things that, uh, <laughs> that that could make you better at your job or make you a better contributor here. Um, if if it is in the spirit of, you know, let's get better together, then first of all, you can give criticism um, more readily. But when it's your turn to accept criticism, if it's coming back in that same nature, it's so much easier, um, so yeah. much easier to accept that way. If I could turn the tables, David, you are in a position of leadership and will be participating in some reviews, but as an employee, what are things that 
leaders shouldn't do or should do in those formal times? In the formal reviews? Well, I, I would kind of back it up to the point you made about doing it in the moment, because I think that anxiety that you mentioned is real for, I mean, at least for me, for a lot of people of like going into the review of like, what did I do? Um, and when that, when there is no communication and no feedback, positive or negative, um, that, that can easily brew very, I mean, I mean, especially if you're, I mean, I'm not that young anymore, but when you're early in your career, um, that's, that can easily come out of, come out of thin air. Um, but yeah, but going into the reviews, I mean, um, if, if that's already been taken care of, it does feel like it's just a conversation, just a catch up and it's way more productive, your review time when that's already gotten out of the way. Um, obviously, I, you know, there could be times where it's not hundred percent possible, but when, when I think the point I'm trying to make here is that reviews can be really, really good and really, really beneficial if that's taken care of on the front end. If not, it's a stressful thing that nobody wants to do. So, um, yeah. yeah. That positive feedback is really an important thing because I forget to do that. I'm generally a pretty positive person, but I forget to be explicitly complimentary of work. Um, you know, I think you are completely right that it's really good to get good feedback too, not just negative feedback. So that's an important lesson. And also, with, I would also stress that if, if you keep negative feedback to yourself, then nothing's going to happen too. And I think that's almost just, I mean, that's the, our yes. generation, this day and age, it's all about positive feedback and positive reinforcement. But if you're too nice and don't give that negative feedback, all this other bad stuff's going to fester more because you're like mm -hmm. thinking, well, you know, in the back of my head, I think I'm doing a bad job at this, but nobody said anything and I don't know. And I will say one more, this, this is kind of specific to speak, but and this is just kind of just putting speak over a little bit and gassing us up, but I think one of the benefits in terms of giving feedback here, especially from the three of you guys, is that I, and I think this is reflected a lot, um, really do trust all three of you at the, on a very, very personal level. And I'm, you know, it's been four years since I've been here and I've matter of it, I've known you a little bit longer than that. But I really do think that um, that kind of factor of like the conflict coming out of feedback is a lot, not, it's not as intense when you have that level of trust and that, and that level of respect for, your leadership and, and that sort of thing. So um, there could be times where I'll get, if I get feedback that's negative and I might be mad in the moment or frustrated in the moment, but because of that relationship, like I'm, we're all going to get over it and we're all going to grow from yeah. it. So I, I do think that um, it, at least in speak, I think we have a little bit of a head start and a little bit of advantage because of the way we treat each other and the way we relate to each other. So um, if I did have one compliment, one positive specific feedback for you guys, it's that. I'll take that kind of feedback all day. Heck yeah, man. <laughs> all right, let's line David up for a promotion. <laughs> just got one. So we'll close. If you guys had to summarize, we've had a lot of great advice today, but if you guys had to leave one piece of uh, advice for somebody that wanted to improve their relationship or not relationship skills, leadership skills, be it a book or a anything, uh, what, would, what would you say and what would you recommend? I'll start. Um, I wrote this down at the beginning of the conversation and didn't really have a chance to, uh, to, to share it in any other context. Um, there's a pretty good book called uh, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Uh, I can't remember the author's name of that. I can look it up uh, in a moment and get back to you. But um, it, it's, uh, I think it's, it, I remember reading it uh, a few years ago and uh, I was in a position of leadership, but just the idea that like, uh, unless you're in charge of the company, um, you, you're always having to kind of uh, 
lead from a place of not having kind of total authority. And so um, that was really helpful for me to think about. He talks a lot about kind of the, the coming together of influence and authority. And so obviously having a, you know, being, you know, giving a, getting a title uh, that lets you, you know, put nominally puts you in charge of people is, is kind of the authority side. And then of course we, we kind of all understand influence hopefully, but that was useful for me to think about um, just the idea that uh, whether or not I am uh, in charge, um, I, I, I have the ability uh, through the relationships that, that uh, are, a part, you know, a part of who I am uh, to, to influence and, and to, you know, kind of export leadership, um, into, uh, some other folks. And that was, that was really empowering. Uh, that's kind of a weird word to use, but that, I I guess I'll go with it. I think you're talking about the difference between, um, authority because of position and then authority that is granted to you because of relationships. That's, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's right. Uh, cause nobody wants to be the guy that's like, you have to listen to me because I'm in charge. Like right. you just lost everybody. Check underneath out the you. name if tag, you... grandma. You're in my world. <laughs> I want to be that guy, but continue. <laughs> you can't go wrong with a Ben Stiller quote. I mean, you just can't. <laughs> I would say my, so two books that I read that I think are really great. Um, one is called Herding Tigers. It's by Todd Henry. And it talks about leading creative teams well. Um, and then the other is one that was actually recommended to the leaders here on our team, which is by the folks that ran Basecamp, and it was called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Um, so those are two leadership books that I just found super, super valuable. But as far as like advice, um, would say not everyone learns the way you do. So you can't expect people to hear things the way you're saying them or intake the, the things you're saying if that's not their learning style. So really letting other people lead and let you know how to lead um, taking cues from them um, has been really helpful because not everyone is a visual learner. Not everyone is going to hear what you say and take it in the first time. So really understanding how your team works has helped me a ton. Um, as far as books go, uh, actually, I'd start with a principle. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest principle to learn in leading people is empathy um, because like Kendra said, not everybody learns the same not everybody likes to be talked to the same way. Not everybody has the same values uh, or, or gets value out of the same things from their work. So learning how to read people and empathize with what it is, with trying to understand how you behave, how that's going to affect them and then affect them in a, or, or then behave in a way that is effective and positive. Um, so I, I think empathy is a, is a really big key. And, I've read several books. Um, I would have to say the, the books that help, have helped me learn empathy or learn personality stuff from other people the most are books by Patrick Lencioni. Um, you can read uh, The Five Signs of a Miserable Job and whatever his other one was. It was like his first big, most popular one, um, The Cover Spread. Uh, but those like helps you understand that when you're in a room with a bunch of people, they're all thinking about things differently than you are and hearing things differently than you. And so if you can getting somebody who is really good at personality stuff like Lencioni is to explain how other people think helps you quickly identify, okay, this guy thinks like that and, and, and processes things this way. So here's how I need to explain things to that person. Um, so I, I think that's 
I think that's the big one. Uh, the big one for me is, is empathy. Also, as a manager, it's really important that you set people up so that they can take shots. Like it's, you, you got to give people the ability to take a shot. Yeah, because you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Gretzky, what a leader. <laughs> Man. Well, I think well, there it is. All time. There's our signature catchphrase, which that, that sound means we're out of time. Um, <laughs> it actually means I just thought of a way to try to set that up. I enjoy <laughs> the setup more than, uh, more than the execution. It's a case. sport now. It is, it's like a sport. Well, that's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you to the VPs once again for sharing their thoughts on leadership. We had a lot of fun with that conversation. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about life in the agency world, we have a ton of content that touches on the various facets of content strategy, web design, digital marketing, you name it. Uh, it's there on our blog. Head over to madebyspeak.com to check that out. Uh, if you'd like to embark on your own web design or digital marketing journey with Speak, be sure to reach out. You'll find our contact info on madebyspeak.com as well. As always, if you have questions or feedback for today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Speak is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, whichever social media platform you prefer, we are there for you. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, I'd ask you to please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, so for myself, our panel today, and all of us at Speak, thank you for getting a little off topic with us.